If you have your Bibles, and I know that there are many more Bibles out there because we've sold a lot of Bibles. So if you have your Bibles, please turn, please turn to 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to look at the first 14 verses of chapter 2. We'll read them together. Um, something that we don't often do, I'm going to ask today that we would do, and that is, is that as I read, I ask that you would stand uh, as we read the Word of God. And it's, uh, it's a way of just expressing uh, in our form that we see this as, uh, as very precious. So please stand as I read First uh, John chapter 2, the first 14 verses. So we'll start with verse 1. My dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with, us, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the anointing sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. I am writing you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write you, father, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Well, good morning, everybody. John, um, Scott prayed a prayer just now. And in his prayer, he said, may the information that we have transform us. And I think that's really important. But there's something in the middle. Information plus application. 
equals transformation. Just because we have the information doesn't mean we'll naturally be transformed. We have to apply it. I know there's a gym down the road, but because there's a gym doesn't mean I'm going to become all a hench, right? I've got to go to the gym. I've got to apply it in order for me to be transformed, in order for me to have those kind of ripply muscles like Scott does. Information plus application equals transformation. So John gives us some information this morning that we can apply in our lives, that we can be transformed. Thank you, Scott, for your prayers. So we're looking at one John at the minute. And last week, we had these rocks. We had Levi hold these rocks up. I don't know if you remember, if you weren't here. Last week, a bit of a recap. We've got two rocks here. We've got this rock, which uh, represents truth. And the whole series this, uh, that we're looking at, you know, John wants us to know, to wrestle with two things, truth. And the other rock is love. And so we said last week, you know, it's easy for churches to kind of hold on to one, truth. Yeah, for example, you know, we want to see the word of truth. We want to be obeying God's word. But if we're just carrying this one rock, the danger is that we become legalistic and we become narrow-minded. And so some churches think, okay, we need to just have love. We carry love and it's easy to carry one rock of love. But if we kind of just err this way a little bit, then we can become wishy-washy and liberal in our approach. And John's asking us, hey, we need to carry both together, which is hard. And Levi managed it. I can't do it, but Levi did do it. Uh, how do we carry love and truth together so that we can uh, be the best that God wants us to be in life today? Uh, and so that's what John's doing. He always has these kind of two balances in his style of writing. And it's the same uh, today. And so yeah, give me, let me give you some examples of how he shows differences um, in, in what he's saying between real Christ Christianity and anything else. So for example, he says, uh, like we looked at last week and looking at this week, light and darkness. And uh, I don't know if you can see there, 1 John 1, 5. He contrasts light and dark. The other contrast, uh, the, which we're going to look at this morning, is the new commandment and the old commandment. Loving the Father and loving the world. Christ and the Antichrist. Truth and lies. 1 John 2, 20 to 21. Uh, children of God and children of the devil. There we go. Thank you. Look at that. Love and hatred. True teaching and false teaching. Love and fear. Having life and not having life. John always has these two. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. You know, John always has these two contrasts between what it looks like following Christ and not following, you know, Christ. Anything else uh, in the book of John. And it's so easy for us to kind of wrestle with these two balances um, in life. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at um, the different contrast between what it means to follow Christ and anything else. And so let's go to your Bibles, verses 1 and 2. John, let's just dive straight in. He says in this verse 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And he starts straight away, my dear children. He's got such a warmth about him. I love how he just expresses himself, my dear children. You got John, he's an old man at this point, and he's, he's in his like 90s, he's, he's kind of getting on in life. And he's got this warmth, and he's got this care, he's got this pastoral nature about him. He was known as the apostle uh, of love. And he'd go around, and he's, um, he's, he's common a theme you'd go around telling everybody was love one another. That was his thing. Love one another. And I, I love it because we see John here who writes these letters, who goes around saying just love, just love each other. And we look back to when he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what was he known as? The son of, son of thunder. He had this kind of like real raw, edgy side to him, right? And I love how when we're in the presence of Jesus, Jesus can transform us. I look at John now, older in life, compared to John as the disciple. He was a bit fiery with his brother. And I think, hey, do you know what? When we journey with Christ, Christ can transform us in wonderful ways. And here's John just saying, hey guys, I love you. Keep loving each other, my, my dear children. He says this, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have one who speaks to the Father. If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to God the Father. John is writing this so that we avoid sin. But if we do sin, and we will sin because we're all uh, fallen creatures, he says, hey, don't worry, we have somebody there who's advocating us to God. But John says this, he doesn't want us to sin. The problem uh, in so many circles today is that the world has gone crazy and people don't acknowledge their sin. But as Christians, it's a big deal. Why is it a big deal? Because God hates sin. Now, people don't like to hear this, right? They don't like to hear that I'm a sinner. They don't like to hear that. Do you know what? I'm not perfect. Hey, I'm a good person, people might say. I don't, I don't need to be told that I'm, I'm a sinner. But God hates sin. God hates sin because why? Because God is holy and he hates sin. He's so holy that he can't even bear to see sin. Now, when we think of holiness, what do we think? God in his very nature is holy. When we look at Isaiah 6, I don't know if you know that passage, when Isaiah goes into the presence, he's in a dream and he goes into the presence of God and there's angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When we see that, we see this, we acknowledge that God is holy, but what does it mean? When we think of holiness, we can think of purity and that's a good start. Well, holiness means more than that. When we use the, to refer to God as being holy, it means separated. Now in England, uh, we like our tea. We like to drink tea, right? And we like to do it properly. You can't just, 
You know, you can't, it's a serious business. You can offend people by making tea wrong, okay? Do you put the tea bag in first uh, and then the water? Or do you put, you know, the water in and then the tea bag? Um, what about milk? Do you put milk in before the water or after the water? It's a serious business. What temperature do you actually boil the water? 96 degrees, is it acceptable? It has to be, boiling point has to be 100 degrees. This is a conversation I've had with people uh, on the tea and coffee serving team on a Sunday morning. For, for real, okay? It's a business, it's real. I, I want to stress this, this is important, okay? Um, so you make your cup of tea. And you've got your system and you put your tea, I put my tea bag in and then my water and then, and then my milk, okay? Um, and so you do this. And in England, we, you, may, you may want some sugar. We have a special uh, bowl called the sugar bowl. Now, uh, do you have a sugar bowl out here? Uh, within the sugar bowl, there's what? A sugar spoon, okay? And what's the purpose of the sugar spoon? You, you get the sugar in your spoon and you put it in your cup of tea and then what you do, you put it back in the sugar, right? What you do not do under any circumstances is stir the tea with the sugar spoon. It is like, this is like a saga of offense, right, in, in work. I can lose my job for doing this as a pastor, okay? Stir, and then you, you, you don't do that because if you stir the spoon, you put it back in the sugar, what happens? It gets all disgusting, right? The sugar, you know, what happens if you, you stir it? You get bits of tea in the sugar, okay? Or the sugar spoon gets all sticky and messy. And then what happens if the next person stirs it in coffee, all right? And then puts that in, you've got coffee and you've got sugar and tea all in the sugar bowl and the sugar spoon's like messy and everyone's like, oh, I'm not going to use that anymore to stir my, to use, you know, it's the sugar spoon it's separated, it's set apart, it is holy, okay? <laughs> it's a holy sugar spoon, and this is the only way I can think about the holiness of God. It is separate. God is so holy, he can't even stand to look at sin. He's so pure. And we are called to be holy, we are called to be the sugar spoon, okay? Go and be a sugar spoon, people, okay? We're called to be set apart. We're called to live a life of purity, not to get involved in things that God doesn't want. Otherwise, we become messy. It affects us. We're called to be set apart, to be this. The Hebrew word for holy means set apart. So when we say God is holy, one thing we are saying is that he is totally set apart. In other words, God's holiness reminds us that he's completely unique. He isn't six or 10 or 100 times more holy than the best person you know. God himself is an entirely different category. God is, his, is in his own league. God is set apart. And thanks for this vision that Isaiah had in Isaiah 6, we're able to understand it a little bit. Isaiah 49 verse 9, God declares, I am God and I am alone. I am God and there is no one else like me. No one and nothing compares to God. God is holiness himself. And because he's holy, because he's pure, 
And because he's unique, he hates sin. He can't even bear to look upon it. This is how serious it is for sin. And we have to take this seriously. But for so many people today, we, we don't want to acknowledge that we are sinners. And we don't want to acknowledge that sometimes we sin and make mistakes. It's serious. If we're serious about our Christian faith, and I believe many of us are, then we have to take sin seriously because God hates it so much. So this is what I know about God. God is holy. God is set apart. This is what I know about me. I am not holy. <laughs> I am not like God. I make mistakes. I am a sinner. And so I have to address that, right, in my own life. Some people say, hey, I'm a good person. It's fine. But none of us are good. Romans tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the punishment of sin is eternal death. It's like a, hundred, it's like a test. If you need to get 100% to pass a test, then that's the, that's the pass rate, right? But no one can get 100% on, on the test that, that is set before us to get to God, right? So say, for example, one person gets 96% on the test and I get 40%, well, we've both failed. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what's the answer? How can we be that sugar spoon? How can we be set apart? How can we, God says, be holy because I am holy. How can we enter into the presence of God if we are sinners? This is the beautiful thing. God has made that a possibility. God has made the possibility of us getting into his presence through Jesus Christ. It says here, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what it says in my Bible. It's a good word, atonement. Atonement just means, well, it's a word that was used, uh, created in the 16th century in, the, in, the, in England, and it just means at one moment. We, because of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done on the cross, we are now, we can have at one moment with God. We can enter into the presence of a holy God because of what Jesus Christ has done. But we can't talk about forgiveness and we can't talk about access without talking about the death of Jesus. The cross of Jesus is written through all the Bible and through all Christian history. And understanding the cross, we have the key to understand what it means to have access to God. But if we don't understand the cross, then we're missing the whole point of the Christian faith. Jesus was willing to be a sacrifice for us to take the punishment of the whole world upon himself, to take the impact of the punishment that we deserve so that we could have access to a holy God. And isn't that amazing? And this is the new start that John is talking about. When we put our trust in Jesus, we can have a new start. We can enter into the presence of a holy God, access that wasn't there for us before. Verse two, it says he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. 
The power of the cross, though, is not effective unless someone has faith in Jesus Christ. But there is more than enough power in the cross to forgive all of sins in all of the world if only if you put your trust in his name. This is the new start. And when we become a Christian, there is complete forgiveness. Can Christ forgive our sins? Yes, he can. Because of the cross, because of the blood that was spilled. Can he forgive me when I sin again? Yes, he can. Because we've been made right with God. But can I do something so bad that he wouldn't want to know about it? No. Not according to verse 2 here. The forgiveness of God is big enough to cover all of our sins. And Jesus Christ now is our advocate. He's, our, he's the best lawyer you can ever have representing you because he's now representing you before God the Father. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you come to him and say, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry for my sins with that deep heartfelt sorrow, he's able to forgive us our sins. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? Uh, whoever, has anyone ever woken up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat thinking, oh my goodness, what did I do 20 years ago in my life? Has anyone, anyone done that before? Just, okay, it's not just me, right? Okay. Give it to God. And park it and leave it because it's robbing the joy that we have, the freedom in Christ. I'm sorry for my sins, leave it. Hey, there's consequences for our sins, but we can be forgiven. We can move on. God wants you to come just to grow in him. And this is the beautiful thing about verses one and two. We have a new start in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ continues to speak on our behalf to God the Father. We've got some baptisms on June the 25th because there are people who believe that they've got a new start in Jesus Christ. And this is something to be celebrated. But with a new start comes a new commandment. Verses 3 to 8. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. In England, we have something called a pub quiz. Uh, do, you have, do you have pubs in Canada? Like somewhere you can go and just get a, a beer in England. They're kind of places where, you know, in the winter it's cold. You can, get, you can go, there's a fire burning. Everybody would come. They would just, it would be a, a little bit of a community. And one of the things we do is a pub quiz once a week. You can go, you can just uh, 
ask questions, and I'm sure you do pub quizzes over here, right? Uh, you can just, they ask you questions, and you come together in your little team, and you win, and you, you might win a prize at the end, uh, or something like that. Well, I'm going to ask you some questions this morning, some pub quiz type questions uh, that I, I don't know if you know the answers to, but I'm going to ask them anyhow, and if you get them right, you can see, uh, who can you see? See a lot at the end, and she'll give you a prize, you know, give you, a, give you some sweets or something, some candy. Okay, question one, here it is. How long did the Hundred Years' War last? Anybody? Hundred years? No, no, it's too obvious that one, right? Ian? No, no, anybody? Oh, no, no, 106, no, close, better. No, 116 years. So, yeah, didn't get it right. Okay, no candy. <laughs> Good job, I don't think we have any. Okay, next question. Which country manufactures Panama hats? China. No, no, probably. I don't know, but. Anyone? Ah, no. No. Ecuador, that's right. Ecuador, you get Panama hats from Ecuador. They, orig- they came from Ecuador originally. That's the origins of a Panama hat. Okay, uh, what type of animal is a Bombay duck? A bird, it's not a bird. Nope. It's a fish. Yeah, who said that? Yeah, a Bombay duck is a fish indeed. And you can't Google these, by the way. So just saying, okay. What was King George the fourth's first name? King George the Fourth's first name. Albert. Albert. I don't know why he's called King George, but he was. Albert. Last question I'm going to ask. What color is the black box on a commercial aeroplane? Orange. That's right. Everyone gets a candy. Okay. <laughs> There's a few. Okay. That was good. There's, a, there's some silly tests. You know, with some silly answers, really. You know, I had to Google uh, silly questions for a quiz, and they came up. But they were silly questions, silly tests. But John here is giving us a test. He's giving us a kind of a litmus test um, that we can carry out to determine if we are on the right track spiritually. Tests that show whether or not we really know God personally and whether we truly make Jesus Lord of our lives. So what are these? He's given us two tests that we can test ourselves about whether we're following um, God and following Jesus. And the first one is this, verses three to four, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Are we obeying the commands of Jesus? Are we obeying the commands of God? Are we pouring our lives into the Bible every day to say, I want to follow Christ? I want to obey his commands in my life. That's test number one. If you're not doing that, well, John's saying, well, quite honestly, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he's, his command is, is a liar. 
strong words. That's the first test. Basically, you need to practice what you're preaching. Are we doing what Christ asks of us? And the second test is in verse six. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. John's not expecting perfection, but he's expecting progress. And the command that John is talking about is the most basic command. He says, listen, I'm giving you a new command, but it's also an old command. The old command is a new command. What's he talking about? This is the command that underlies the whole of the Bible. This command that John is talking about underlies the teaching of Jesus himself. And if we're trying to do anything at all, we should be trying to do this. And the command that he says, I think is from Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. And Matthew 22, verse 6 to 40 says on the slide, on the slide, on the, on the PowerPoint, it says, thank you. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandments in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The old command was from the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. And this is the new command that Jesus is commanding us. Love one another. Love God. Obey his command. Obey him. Love him. Walk like Jesus walked. How can we walk like Jesus walked in a world that's gone absolutely mad? Obey God and love each other. This command to love one another fulfills what the Ten Commandments are all about. And it is directly used 12 times by Paul, by John, and by Peter in the New Testament. So for example, if we have love in our, if we love one another, if we love God, then we'll obey the Ten Commandments. We'll not murder, right? It's a simple one. It's obvious. How can you murder somebody that you love? Or stealing. If you love somebody, you're not going to want to hurt them by taking something from them. Or adultery. This is, I think adultery is often excused by, hey, I, I just love them. Well, sorry, that doesn't float. Because if you love somebody, you wouldn't want to hurt somebody else. You know, adultery out of a marriage bond hurts the person that you're married to. Real love fulfills what the whole Old Testament is about. And Jesus himself is the fulfillment of that command. We are the only Bible some people will ever read. Are we obeying the commands of God? And are we loving others unconditionally? It's not easy. But real love puts action before emotion. But here's the good news in verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. I can't walk like Jesus did because I'm not Jesus. I can't walk like Jesus did because I'm not the son of God. 
So how can we live like Christ? Well, we can't do it in our own strength. This is why we need to develop the life of Jesus in us. Just as a pen needs ink and a car needs fuel, we need that indwelling life of Christ in us and through us. And that's only achieved by us spending time with him in prayer, in the word, in worship, coming together on a Sunday, attending our house church. And then when we do those things and we're obedient to him, then we grow. That life of Christ in us grows. And then we want to spend more time in the word and we want to spend more time in the Bible. And when we do that, the life of Christ in us grows more. It's like this cycle of growth. How can I live like Christ? Obey his commands and love God. Simple, right? It sounds so easy. But John says here, in Christ we get a new start and we have a new commandment. But also, the beautiful thing is, we get a new family. Verses nine says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. So we get a new start, a new commandment. And thirdly, we have a new family. My third point. Let's be real though. Church is not easy. And and living with other Christians is not always easy. There will always be people who rub us up the wrong way on a Sunday morning. You know, you, there may be people in your mind right now when you come into church on a Sunday and you think, oh my goodness, that person's over there. And you think, I'm going to just avoid, I'm going to walk this way against the wall to try and avoid them. And, and it, does, it, do you ever feel, does anyone feel like that? Or is it just me as a pastor? No? <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking, I'm joking. It's not easy to be in a community with, with different people, right? We are united in Christ but there isn't always harmony within a church. John's words here, though, are focused on our attitudes that cause us to ignore or despise others, to treat them as irritants, competitors, or even enemies within the church. Verse six, I want to keep going back to this. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Jesus seemed to be able to walk and live and talk with everybody. Whether you were a tax collector, he would eat and meet and love you. Whether you were a leper, he would come and eat and meet and embrace you. Whether you were a beggar on the street, he would come and just be with you and heal you. Whether you were a Pharisee, one of the religious legalists, you'd come along and and be with them and teach them. A disciple, Jesus cared for and loved everybody. We can choose to be concerned with people's well-being and treat them with respect, whether or not we feel affection towards them. If we choose to love others and demonstrate that love practically, then I believe motion results in emotion. I'm a firm believer in that if that we serve people, um, if we serve people with love, if we sacrificially serve others, 
then we, we begin to love them more. If we spend time with people, whether we know them or not, and this is the privilege of being a pastor. I'm able to spend time with all of you one way or another. And if I haven't spent time with you yet, come and see me and I want to spend time with you. Because the more we spend time with each other, the more we love each other. The more we serve each other, the more we kind of grow to know each other and love each other. And this is the beautiful thing about the church. And this is what John is saying. How are we loving each other? Doing loving things leads to loving emotions and feelings in our lives. So if you have an issue with a brother or sister, and it says, it says in the New Testament, if you've got a brother, an issue with a brother or sister, go and deal with it before you take communion. This is important for God. If you have an issue with a brother or sister in Christ, go and see them. Go and love them. Now, a bit of a warning. If someone comes to you this morning and starts loving you, sacrificially serving you, don't be offended. You know, maybe you're not irritating them. It's just, perhaps they just love you, right? But we can love and serve and sacrificially take care of each other. And there's two ways to walk. In the darkness, in verse 11, or in the light, in verse 10. There's um, in um, Panama, there's this tree called a strangler fig tree. And the strangler fig tree has, you know, um, it's a little, it comes as a little seed. And you can see there. And this little seed will get eaten by a bird or something like that and then dumped on top of the top of the tree. And the seed germinates and sends this, this strangler branch all the way down. In figure two, it goes all the way down. And then it starts to grow around the tree and starts to strangle the tree that it's growing around. And this little seed will just completely take over. It will blot all of the light and life out of the tree and kill it. And you can go to Panama uh, and you can see this, these trees made of a matrix and it's hollow and you can go inside and you can see all the way up to where a tree used to be, I presume. And it looks a bit like that. It just strangles the life and the light out of the tree. This tiny seed can strangle this beautiful tree. And I think it's the same with sin in our lives. One little seed of sin can germinate and take root in our lives, which God detests. One little seed in our lives can just grow and can plant itself if it's not addressed and it can strangle the light of God in our lives. For example, have we allowed our relationships with God to coast? You know, we're not praying with him. We're not reading our Bibles. Or our standards of what we're watching on TV or on the internet or what we're reading is perhaps not what God is expecting in our lives and it, it's just taking over in our lives. Or another seed could be, how's our relationship with God, uh, with, with other people? Perhaps we're, we're angry with somebody and it's beginning to take root in our lives and it's affecting how we live our lives. Or jealousy. I, jealousy can be such a, a terrible strangling our lives where we are jealous of somebody else's gifts 
and it's affecting the people that we become or gossip even. It's so easy to gossip in the church and these little seeds of sin can take root and grow in our lives and strangle the life out of us. The final test here in this passage that John is asking us is that if we are genuine in our faith, it won't be expressed in how we love people we really like. That's easy. It'll be expressed in how we love everybody. How do we deal with the seeds of sin in our lives? John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The local church has to be a place where we follow the commands of Jesus and love one another. And it says, fathers, verses 12 to 40, fathers, young men, children, wherever you are in your maturity and your journey of the Christian faith, each generation can encourage each other to keep going in the faith, keep growing in Christ. Here's my encouragement from the passage this morning. In Jesus, we have a new start. We have a new commandment. Love God. Obey God's word. And we have this wonderful family called New Life where we're able just to be together, encourage each other, and keep growing in Jesus. Thank you so much for encouraging me to be part of this family, this community, and I hope we can continue growing together in Jesus Christ. Let's cherish these three blessings that John is giving us. New life, new start, new command, and a new family. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able just to come here this morning, enjoy each other's company, enjoy each other's presence. We're able just to enjoy your presence, Lord Heavenly Father. But I pray that we always appreciate that we have new life in Christ. Each morning, we can ask for forgiveness and the slate of sin is just cleared away. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given us these commands to love God and to love each other. And the more we love you and the more we love each other, the more we become in materials like Christ. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have this family of new life, that we're able to be here for each other take care of each other, cook meals for each other, support one another when we are rejoicing, when we're laughing, when we're crying. Wow, what a God you are and what a wonderful package we have in the Christian faith. We love you so much, Lord. Amen.